0: Right, John chapter 7. If you weren't here last week, Jesus just got done explaining a pretty tough passage where He's talking about his, His flesh and that we need to feast on His flesh and drink His blood. And that made for an interesting talk. But certainly, He wasn't speaking about cannibalism. He's talking about spiritually feasting on Him, being in His Word, letting His Word abide in us believing, thinking on the Gospel, the death, burial, resurrection of Christ, preaching that to ourselves, preaching that to one another. And after He said these things, quite a few of those who claimed to be His disciples turned away. And then He looked to the twelve and He said, are you going to go too? And they said, we got nowhere else to go. You have the words of eternal life. And He truly is eternal life, knowing Him. So now we have about six months passes, probably, and we start off here in chapter 7. So let's work through it together and see if we can hear from the Lord, starting in verse 1, chapter 7. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill Him. If by now you think that Jesus has not been claiming to be God, claiming to rule over everything, you're mistaken because now they want to kill him. He's been explaining to them that he is the true word that has come down from heaven. He is the God-man. He's been revealing more and more and more to them. And now they're like, all right. It's time to kill this guy. Make no mistake, certainly Jesus understood that the cross was coming. But don't view this for a second that he was running scared. His time had not come yet. His time had not come yet. There was a part of him, certainly, the human side was like, even when he's praying in the garden, he's like, oh, there's any other way, Lord, to do this thing? but not my will, your will be done. Ultimately, he understood the plan. And he signed up for it. He said, I'm coming to save him. I'm coming to die for him. I'm coming to be raised for him. Don't take this for a second that he was just hiding. He knew his time had not yet come. He is not on our schedule. Jesus is not on our schedule. He wasn't then. He's not now. And that may be helpful for some of you, maybe a little offensive, but it may be helpful because you may be thinking, I have things that I need God to do for me. I've got a list of things He needs to get done. I saw a, I think it was a post on Facebook that was talking about trying to gather the troops to pray to impeach somebody. This one wasn't about the President, it was about somebody else. Gather the troops to pray so we can impeach this person. I'm not trying to get political, but what I found interesting was the comment, because it's time for God to do something. That's a misunderstanding. As Brother Doug read earlier, his purpose is nothing changes those. He's on his throne. Don't worry, he doesn't need a reminder. Hey God, you going to do something? Gosh, maybe he doesn't see what's going on. He sees everything. And his timing is always perfect. Even if we don't think so. So don't think for a second that Jesus is hiding out, not wanting to fulfill his mission just because he's not going to Judea. His time had not come yet. But make no mistake, they were seeking to kill him because he's claiming to be God. Now, verse 2, the Jews' feast of booths, or tabernacles, as it's sometimes called, was at hand. Real quick, there are three major feasts that the Jewish people would celebrate. This one was brought about as a reminder as they would wander around the wilderness. And what they would actually do, if you're not familiar with it, is they'd actually build these little tabernacles, these little booths, if you will, and sleep in them. They would actually sleep and make them out of palm branches or whatever, and they would actually sleep inside of them. And it would be a reminder to them of God's faithfulness as they wandered around for 40 years. It's a reminder of God's faithfulness. They would do some other things to celebrate too. They would get some, some water and they would dump out this water and it would remind them that he gave them water from a rock. Do you remember that he did that? He provided for them. They would also light a whole bunch of torches and so that way they would be the reminder that this pillar that led them and guided them. This was a celebration that they were supposed to do. They were supposed to um, celebrate to remind each other and praise God for his faithfulness and his provision. That's what they're about to celebrate. That feast is coming. And all the males were required to go. Verse 3. So his brothers, and real quick, this doesn't mean his homeboys. Okay? This doesn't mean his cousins, as some would like to tell you. It means his half-brothers. Now, Mary was a virgin when he was born. But... She was married to Joseph, and they had other kids. Some will also try to tell you, well, this must have been Joseph's kids from his marriage before. That's nowhere in Scripture. Okay? It's okay if Jesus has half-brothers. <laughs> scripture says it. It's okay. There are some groups that get so caught up in, we have to protect the divinity of Jesus, so we have to protect the divinity of Mary in some way, or the holiness of Mary, so she never was with a man, ever. It's not true. Okay? Okay? He has these brothers, these half-brothers and sisters, and what's important is this actually will show how some people just don't get it until the time's right. And by some people, I mean all of us. We don't get it till the time is right. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, (laughs) the place. He's like, I'm not going around there because they're trying to kill me. Brothers, this is, I mean, some of you have brothers and sisters like, yeah, I understand this for sure. Hey, you should go over there. I'm going to kill you over there. Sibling, sibling rivalries. Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. You could say, oh man, look at them. They're supporting him. They're right behind him. Except verse 5. For not even his brothers believed in him. Now make no mistake, they eventually do, but it's after the resurrection. From what we believe and know that James, his half-brother, and Jude, both of those books of the Bible. It was after the resurrection, though. But don't you think there had to be something special about Jesus when He was growing up? Yeah. I mean, they grew up with Him and they still didn't believe. There had to be something going on that He was unique from the rest of them, right? Because did He ever sin? No. no, He never sinned. But they still didn't believe that He was the promised one, even though they grew up with Him. It starts to make you wonder what kind of blinders... Did they have on that they wouldn't even believe when they got to observe his life? What this is helping us to think about, sometimes we do not see things rightly. We think we do. I'm right. This is what I see. And sometimes we are way off. They are so far off, they lived with him and they still said, I know what he did. What do they think that he actually sinned? What do they think that he did things wrong? I would love to have had a conversation with him and go, "Why did you not think he was? Because he's our brother?" Because everyone was always like, "Hey, look at Jesus. He's great. right? Was Mary, Mary and Joseph, were they talking about Jesus in a special way, perhaps? They got jealous, maybe? I don't know what it was, but what's interesting is what this shows us is we all believe things wrongly sometimes. And it's not until the right time, meaning after the resurrection, for them in particular, that they see it the right way. They're not really trying to help him out. I don't believe here. They didn't believe in him and they're saying, you want to stay secretive? No, no, you need to go and proclaim because you want everyone to know that you're the Messiah. This is the plan. Notice that God's plan isn't always the same way we think it should go. Is he going to be open eventually? Yes. But it goes back to what we started with this morning. In God's timing. It wasn't time yet. Sometimes we desire to do the right thing, and we know it's the right thing, but the timing is wrong. You ever had that? Yeah. I've heard stories from many of you. I've had that too. Where you're this, I'm certain on this. <laughs> the Lord said, not yet. It's coming. That's why some of the biggest struggle for some of you is waiting on God. <laughs> I got the plan. I know where we're going. Come on, God. Come on. Keep up with me. We're going to get there. And the Lord would say, Who sits on the throne? I do. Thank you. Let's just wait. So, he's not going to give in to his brothers. Just because his brothers are saying that, he's not going to give in to them and say, Okay, well, all right, I'll go. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. You're going to call them out. This is probably why they didn't like him. Their time for what? Look, look what he gets into in verse 7. The world cannot hate you. But it hates me. Why does it hate him? Because, he says, because I testify about it, that its works are evil. They are not following. We see they're not following Christ yet. So guess what? When you don't follow Jesus, you don't think like Jesus, You don't hold to the same things that Jesus holds to. So thus, you're part of the world. Again, two options. We talk about this all the time. There's two options. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to Christ. That's it. You're either part of the world or you're part of Christ. Darkness or light. That's it. You need to ask yourself and ask God to search your heart and make sure that you're on the right team. But what he's saying to his brothers, the the world, because you're so much like the world, it can't hate you. But I'm so different than the world, it has to hate me. Question this morning. Where do you fit in? Do you look so much like the world that it can't hate you? Notice I'm not saying you have to hate the world in the sense of the people. No, we love the people. But the things of the world. Are you right now so much like the world? You look like the world that if we look at you, we can't even tell a difference? I hope not. Maybe there's just certain aspects, right? Most of us in here are probably like, no, I'm good. Except this little area. (laughs) right that little compartment that we we've, we've pulled aside this is my jesus life i got this little part right here <laughs> he wants everything Amen. he wants everything do you look different enough do you look like christ do you look like his word because your mind is being renewed over and over again that the world goes i'm tired of you you're too loving you all this grace and forgiveness. Ugh. I was doing the things that Jesus says and being with those church people. And I'm tired of that. Most people, they will respond one of two ways. If you continually love them and share the Gospel with them, share God's Word, they will either get more and more interested or they'll do what? They will push you away. They'll say, hey, let's have a party. Oh, should we invite Carrie and Laura? Ooh, no, we don't... Uh. And we can't have fun, you know, they're going to be wanting to pray before we have snacks. Right? The world, one way or the other. And so he says to his brothers, the world cannot even hate you guys, because you look so much like it. May that not be us. May that not be us. He says, you go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast, for my time has not fully come yet. A little bit of a debated verse, even some things going on in the Greek there. Some translations will say, I'm not yet going up to the feast. Sometimes they phrase it a little bit differently. Um, because why this gets debated is because he says, all right, I'm, I'm not going to the feast, or at least it appears he said, I'm not going to the feast. And then after saying this, now notice the importance of that John puts this in here. He remained in Galilee. But then verse 10 happens. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but private. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Thought you weren't. Did did Jesus just lie? We got him. You guys, we caught Jesus in a lie. Now, number one, even in the 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 Greek as you're looking at it, or in different English translations that have done well, you go up to the feast. I'm not going up to the feast. For my time has not yet fully come. Again, he's not going in the way they want or in the time that they want, and that's why you notice that it's put there. Verse nine is still there. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. He was true to his word. I'm not going up yet and he's not going in the way that they're going up. But after that time passes, when the time is right, he then will go up. Some translations will have the yet in different spots. Ultimately, that's what's being said here. His time had not come. He's not on his brother's timetable, and he's not going in the way that they're going because his time, and he repeats that. The Jews, verse 11, the Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where is he? They're looking for him. He's supposed to be here at the feast. Where's he at? He's been creating the stir for a couple of years. Verse 12, And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, He's a good man. Others said, Nah. He's leading the people astray. We're right back to judgment again. Remember what we were talking about before? Right judgment. Thinking rightly. You have some. Look at him. He's a great guy. We should follow him. Others, mm-mm. He's leading people astray. Guess what? People are going to talk. People are going to talk. Right now, people are talking around town about our church. Yeah. Oh, that's a great church. It's a loving church. You should go. You should be a part of it. Oh, you don't be a part of that church. Hypocrites, mean people. They, don't want, they just want to divide. They don't want to be together. People are going to talk. You can't control that. Stop trying to control it. Don't even listen to it. It's gossip. Amen. Get away from it. Here's what we can do. We can focus on making right judgments ourselves Amen. and being faithful with the things that we say and listen to. Don't worry about what other people are going to say. But you want to make sure that when you talk about Christ as they're talking about Him, you want to make sure you're making right judgments. You're saying things that are true. So which one is true to you guys? Is it that he is, um, He's good and He's helping or that He's causing problems? Which one is it? He's good. You know what the world says? He's not. Once again, this division that exists between the world and to us. He's not leading you astray. In fact, He's the only one that knows the way. Because He is the way. Follow Him. Look at verse 13. This shows you right here. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of Him. They're not even. going to like whisper about Him. Like, oh, you hear about Jesus? I think He's going to come. Yeah, is He good? I don't know. Is He bad? I don't know. Oh, here come the Jews. Come oh. Yeah, got the Jewish Super Bowl thing happening soon. What's, who are you going for? The Levites or the Judaites or whatever? Right? They're scared to talk about Jesus. Like, whether well, good or they're just afraid to even talk about him. For they're, they're fearful of the religious leaders. Question Are you scared? Are you scared to talk about Jesus? Most of them talk about Jesus. Sunday school, I talk about him all the time. Let's push in a little deeper. Think in your hearts and your minds who is it that you're scared to talk about Jesus around? What are you afraid of? <coughs> Coach and Miss Donna, we were talking a little bit earlier about whether we need to be, what do we need to be doing as Christians when it comes to the topics of abortion and other things. Hear me, hear me, hear me. If it's not already here, which it somewhat is, there is going to be a time when talking about Jesus and talking about the Bible will cost you possibly your life, but certainly your freedom. That day is coming, and in many places is already here, and is starting to come. Do not be afraid of that, because Jesus says if that happens, then you are blessed. And he promises to be with you through it all. But make no mistake. It's not going to just get all of a sudden really cool and popular to talk about Jesus and follow the Bible. It's not what's going to happen. And the further we get away from that, the further it's going to go. And all of a sudden, you're going to continue to see things that you're like, how can this even be allowed? It's just how it is, guys. And persecution is normal. I want to share a couple passages with you real quick. 2 Timothy chapter 3, listen to this, Paul's talking, and he says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim of life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Paul's talking. You followed my persecutions and my sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Now listen to this. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The key there is if you desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will face persecution. This wasn't new. Listen to what uh, Jesus says in John uh, 15. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. We should not be surprised, and we do not have to be fearful. But we do need to realize that this is the reality we live in. And so... Pastors around this nation and around the world need to be preparing their flock for whatever may come. And parents and grandparents need to be preparing their children and grandchildren. Because there will be a time that this comes. That's not to say, be scared. It's to say, realize it's coming, so let's hold fast to Christ together. Let's memorize His Word so that when you are put in prison perhaps... You can sit and just recite His Word. The Holy Spirit can just bring that to you. Whatever you hide in there, guess what? Nobody can take that away from you. You can just recite it. You can sing hymns. Whatever it takes. Realize that this is normal. Do not fear, in this case, the Jews of what they might think. Do not fear anybody. If you believe in Christ, talk about Him. Because again, He's the only hope for anybody. He's the only way. Let's continue. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. He said, All right, halfway through the feast, now it's time. The timing is right. It's time for him to get up there and start teaching. Again, teaching from the word. Verse 15. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is this? How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? Love that. <laughs> Love that. He answers them. So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but is His who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, look at this, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. He says, you want to know why I can teach and preach and speak with such authority and it be true, even though I wasn't trained like the other rabbis? Because it's the Word of God. It's God's Word. The same is true for every one of you. Say, well, I, I didn't really study, Pastor. I didn't go to seminary. I didn't go to college for this stuff. It's right here. Study it. Love it. Feast on it. Memorize it. That's why we can have leaders, and that's why we're heading that direction, to have other men who know the Word of God, whether they've been to seminary or not. If they know the Word of God and have the Spirit of God, moving that they will be elders, pastors in the church to help lead. Yes, the education is good, but it is not what is needed. Knowing the Word of God, knowing who it comes from is what's needed. That's where Jesus' authority comes from. That's where any authority that I have comes from. It's from the Word. It's interesting what he says there in 17. If anyone's will is to do God's will, if you really want to do the will of God, if you really want to follow God, then you will know that the teaching is from God. You have the Spirit inside of you. And you can check it with the Word. Verse 18, The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. If I was up here trying to tell you guys, well, I think this, and this is what I think you should do. You need to follow me. I'm telling you. I've said it. That means nothing. And you should all walk out. But if I'm saying... God says this, then we should, with a bit of trembling, say, okay, Lord, help us. Help us to obey. Help us to understand. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him there is no falsehood. Christ is coming for the glory of God. And he's just trying to get people to believe that, to listen to that. There's no falsehood in him. Now he goes into 19. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. You ever have those, right? Religious people. Hypocrites. It's not a hypocrite to be a sinner. We all know we are. It's a hypocrite if you say you're not a sinner. But if the people, oh, the church is full of those hypocrites. Well, it depends on what you mean. If we're going around saying, hey, don't do any of that, but we consistently do it. Like, don't sin in these ways, but then we do that and we just cover it up, yeah, that would be hypocrites. But if the church is saying, we're a bunch of sinners who are just lost, but yet have been found and saved by grace, and we're doing the best we can to move forward and repent of sin and keep moving forward, and we're just trying, and by His grace, we will continue to grow and grow. Not a hypocrite. It's truth. Most of the time when people say that, it's because they don't want to actually come. They want an excuse. But... We don't want to be a bunch of people who preach the Bible but don't live how we're supposed to either. We want to be battling sin and moving forward. We do not want to be those who speak of the law, try to condemn Jesus by the law, but yet don't keep the law ourselves. Don't want to be there. So he says, why do you seek to kill me? Verse 20, the crowd answered, you have a demon who is seeking to kill you. Commentators went two ways on this. One, they thought, well, maybe the people didn't know. I don't think that's the case at all. I think they're just covering it up. He's all like, he's calling them out. Yeah, why do y'all want to kill me? What? Shoot, you crazy Jesus. We don't want to kill you. We love you. You're our fave. (coughs) They don't. They want to kill him. Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you marveled at it. What work is he talking about? Those who have been with us, John chapter 5, where he heals the man by the pool. He heals him on the Sabbath. The guy was trying, remember, he's trying to get into the pool, never could get in there. He comes in and heals him on the Sabbath. Verse 22 Moses gave you circumcision, not that it's from Moses, but from the fathers, first to Abraham. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath, right? They got to do it on the eighth day, they got to keep it. So, even if it's the Sabbath day, they have a child. And on the eighth day of the Sabbath day, they would still do circumcision. That's kind of a work. What are you doing? Well, no, you've got to do this to fulfill the law because it's the right thing to do. It's what they're supposed to do. But look at this. Jesus is making an argument from the lesser to the greater. He's saying, talking about circumcision, which is just fixing a part of the body. What he says, If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me? Because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? You do that so this child will be holy and part of God's people. I restore a man completely. We're supposed to keep the Sabbath holy. Is there anything more holy than restoring somebody completely? They're so here they can't even see the truth. So he says to them, and we'll end here, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. The Bible says don't judge. Not if you read all of it. Not if you read all of it. It says make right judgments, true judgments, not self-righteous judgments where I'm better than everybody else. It says don't judge the world. We have no part in that. But it does talk about believers and it talks about inside the church. Not in a negative I'm better than you way, but in a prayerful, fasting, checking the log in your own eye first before the speck you see in somebody else's. And out of love, compassion, care, concern, that they may be heading down a dangerous path, you gently go to them and say, is everything okay? We make right judgments that are theologically correct because they line up with Scripture and they're full of love and true. Many of us struggle with this because we make judgments off of preferences or we don't know all the facts. They don't know all the facts here. Jesus can do whatever he wants on the Sabbath. You know why? Because he's the Lord of the Sabbath. They don't have all the facts. They're not thinking rightly about God. They're making a wrong judgment about who Christ is. My encouragement to you is make sure you have all the facts of who God is and what's going on in our brothers' and sisters' lives before you make any judgments. For some of you who've been doing the the Bible reading, yearly Bible reading, and working hard to get through Job. I was going through Job, and I felt conviction here. Because, yeah, there's truth in the sense of right judgments about one another, and we need to be careful, we need to be loving, and things like that. But I felt conviction because I do think, just like they're making wrong judgments about Christ, I think we sometimes make wrong judgments about God when things don't go our way. Or we don't agree with it, or we see something in His Word, and we're like, hmm. And, and Job is an interesting story, right? Because it seems like, ah, this, this doesn't feel right, God. It feels like he kind of gave it to Job and he didn't really deserve that. And if you spent time reading through, you notice at the end of the book, after Job is set straight, it said this, and this is what I want to close with, is for those of you who are believers, if we're making wrong judgments, if you're struggling with God on something right now, listen to what Job says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. here and I will speak, I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you, listen, Job says this, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. To our eyes, when you see Job, what do you always hear about Job? Oh, Job is righteous, he did nothing wrong. And he just suffered really well. Yeah, for kind of a little bit. And then he began to complain against the Lord. And ultimately he had pride, self-righteousness deep down. Sometimes we think we have God figured out. We think we see what's right, and our judgment is off. My prayer is that all of us here, we've heard about God. I pray that we would see him through his word and think rightly about him. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for this passage of Scripture today. We're thankful of the reminder of this Feast of Booths and how you are faithful to provide for us. You're faithful to be with us. Your faithfulness, Lord, is incredible to us. Lord, we don't want to be like those who are afraid to talk about you. We don't want to be like those, like Jesus' brothers at the time, who who look just like the world, and the world can't help but just love us. Oh, God, may that not be us. May that not be me. Lord, I pray that we are a light as a church. I pray that everyone in here who knows you is just a light in such a way that the darkness goes, wow, that's bright. Because we're allowing your spirit to work in and through us in great ways. Father, speak to our hearts by your Spirit. Help us during this time of invitation. Lord, again, if there's any who are like Jesus' brothers who were not following him yet, I pray that they would today. And Lord, for others who are in here who are following you, I pray we would make right judgments about who you are and who we are and what's going on. And we would, have, we would search for the facts, and when we would go to your word, we would truly be listening to you and not trying to read our own agenda into the Scriptures. Same when we deal with one another. I pray we would listen well to one another. Not, not assume we know all the facts, but ask questions to understand. And when we make a quote-unquote judgment, it's nothing more than deep, deep love and right thinking and checking our own heart, our own sin, and in humility going just out of love. Just like If we saw somebody about to take some type of medicine that was going to kill them, would we go and just lovingly say, please don't do that. Lord, give us these right judgments. Help us to see how wonderful you are. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.